Hello, and welcome to the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Before we go any deeper, I thought I'd take a moment to let you know where we're heading. Today, we dive into one of the stories that Will White sent to his mailing list subscribers at some point in the last few years. All of these short stories are tucked away inside one or another of his worlds. Maybe Cradle, possibly Elder Empire, but probably Traveler's Gate. If you have never heard of those worlds before, then you do not have the training to extract full meaning from this journey. You may continue if you wish, but you may not reach true enlightenment. You'll know you were fully prepared for the story if we emerge from this podcast and you suddenly begin levitating and or glowing. Now, tighten the straps on your pack and raise your torch high, because we're delving into places unknown. Don't worry, most of you will probably make it out alive. The Incarnation's Daughter 359th year of the Damascan calendar. First year in the reign of Queen Leah I. Three days since spring's birth. Elena, daughter of Nerissa, had suffered in this dangling cage for what must have been two or three days. Her throat burned with thirst, her eyes ached for lack of sleep, and her muscles cramped to the point of pain. Her mother endured her own torments in an identical cage, only paces away. For all that, Elena felt no fear. Her father was a hero. The king of Damascus sat on his ruby throne, his body reforged into a monster's. One eye blazed with crimson flame, his skin threaded with red and gold, dark armor covering him like a shell. He sat with his spear in one hand like a scepter, and he'd filled the room with bloody light that must have spilled directly from the crimson vault. He was an incarnation now, or so she had gathered from her father, though she had only a fuzzy idea what an incarnation was. There was a certain logic to it, though. Like any villain, he had allowed his weakness to corrupt him. Others of his kind paraded in and out of the throne room, each of them trying to break her father's will, and of course, they all failed. Indirial, son of Aleus, could not be broken. When a stone giant threw him into the ceiling, or a blue-skinned woman froze his limbs an inch at a time, Elena shouted at them until her voice grew hoarse. Her fury demanded an answer, and she couldn't wait to see her father slice them in two. But he never did. Over the endless hours imprisoned, Elena gathered that Indiriel was resisting his own power, holding himself back from killing those who had kidnapped and threatened his family. She called encouragement to him whenever she had the energy, lending what support she could. In her heart, she knew he would give in, but it wouldn't be the failure that King Zachareth imagined. He would unleash his power, and it would be more than the incarnations could handle. She only had to wait for it to happen. When the brightly dressed Asphodel incarnation vanished through a gate, and Zacharath hurled his spear with such power that it blasted a crater in his floor and set the entire hole to shaking, Elena knew her moment had arrived. Her father would defeat the Ragnaros incarnation in single combat, and then would rescue his wife and daughter. Maybe this would teach him that Elena needed to be able to defend herself, and he would train her in the ways of Valenhall. Indiriel didn't attack. He leaped between their cages, his huge, cracked sword in both hands, spinning in place. Her cage jerked suddenly as she fell, then slammed to a halt as her father caught her, gripping the bars in one impossibly strong hand. 
The metal frame screeched as it twisted and warped. Elena stared at her father in horror. His eyes blazed with violet light, and the dark chains that always twined up his arms were now wrapped firmly around his neck. But those weren't what frightened her. He'd thrown his sword away. He had given up his chance to attack the enemy to catch her. What was he thinking? Enderiel summoned his sword back an instant later, which made her breathe a sigh of relief, but he used it to slash open an instant Valenhall gate. She'd never seen anyone open a gate so fast, not even Tartarus travelers, but she'd always known that her father was capable of more than anyone else. What has he done to you? Nerissa asked through her tears, but Indiriel threw her one-handed into Valenhall, cage and all. Elena had her own question, even as her father reached for her. What are you doing? He was wasting too much time on them when he should be killing the king. Indiriel gave them one last look, his eyes a luminous violet where they had once been the same dark brown as her own. He looked resolved, focused, with an appropriate tinge of tragedy. He looked like a hero. The gate winked shut, leaving her and her mother in the House of Blades. Are you all right? Nerissa asked, craning her neck to peer through twisted bars. Elena didn't answer, kicking with all her strength at the lock. It rattled, damaged by Indiriel's rough treatment, though pain tore at her leg. Two days in a cage did not prepare her for exercise. Nonetheless, she kept trying. When the cloaked shadow appeared between their cages, huge sleeves pressed together, Elena stopped kicking. She drew back into the corner, ready to fight. This looked like some sort of ghost, in which case her fists and feet would do her no good. But she'd grown up on stories of Valenhall. To fight was to advance. Constant vigilance was the only way to survive. We're, Nerissa had to swallow, her voice rough. Indiriel's family, we're with Indiriel. The creature swiveled its head to look at Elena. Come over here and I'll break you apart, she said, staring straight into the shadows where his eyes should be. Her father wouldn't show fear, so neither would she. What might your name be, honored sir? Nerissa asked, as though she were still at court. Indiriel taught me himself, Elena said, though it was only half true. I'll tear this whole house down. Nerissa told her to be silent, and she was, though she glared at the shadow man the entire time while her mother begged him for information. Begging wasn't the way to get anywhere in this territory, she was sure. At last, the cloaked ghost spoke. I will free you, he said, his voice rasping as though he had a throat full of iron filings. Before I do, I have a few conditions of my own. 359th year of the Damascan calendar, first year in the reign of Queen Leah I, ten days until summer's end. Vasha flashed in Elena's hands as she swung the cracked blade with steel-enhanced force. The sword whistled as it passed over the wooden counters on either side of her, scratching a narrow line across the room's paint. Her blow landed as though she meant to cleave an anvil in half. Her father parried the strike with a kitchen knife, knocking her sword upward. His violet eyes flickered, glowing in the shadows of the gallery, and the chains on his skin glimmered like mirror-bright steel. 
They had once been black, but ever since the event that had bound him here half a year ago, they shone with the luster of metal. Half a year. Her calendar insisted that was all the time that had passed, though here in Valenhall it had stretched much longer. Elena spent most days with her father, and lately she had begun to read his habits. When he knocked her blade up instead of to the side, she seized on that moment with a surge of satisfaction. This is it. She released Vasha, letting it fly into the ceiling, and stepped forward to close the gap. As he used a knife, she was giving him an advantage by moving in, but for that reason he would never expect it. The surprise that flickered across his face told her she was right, and she slid a dagger of her own from the waistband of her pants. Elena stopped with her knife pressed against his ribs, even as his blade stopped at her neck. A trade isn't bad, Enderiel said through a grin. There are worse ways to die than giving up your life for an opponent's. Elena moved her eyes upward, drawing his eyes to the ceiling as well. While she'd drawn the dagger with one hand, she'd reached upward with the other, grabbing Vasha's hilt. It was poised to crash down on Andiriel's head. In a real battle, she would have crushed him. He laughed, dropping his knife and holding up both hands in surrender. Even as he did so, he hopped up on one counter, sitting casually with his legs dangling. So risky. You'd have killed me, I'll give you that, but you still gave me a shot at your neck. Glowing with pride, Elena leaped to the counter on the other side of the hall, sitting opposite her father. It's only a risk if they're as fast as I am. Once I get the nigh essence, they won't be. That gift is the eldest's to give, not mine. He looked around him, sighing. This is my whole world now. She couldn't keep the hope out of her voice as she said, there's always your gift. Behind Indiriel, on the wall over his head, hung a collection of white and gray masks. When Indiriel's eyes widened in surprise, as though he hadn't considered the idea, her heart sank. You think you want a mask? Elena shifted her gaze, angry and self-conscious. I've been challenging a guardian every day. Why shouldn't I earn the reward? Well, I have been sparring with my daughter every day. If you want to face the room's guardian, his eyes blazed with a more intense light, and he shuddered. You don't want to. What's wrong? I'm supposed to earn it, and I have. Am I not good enough? He slid off the counter, walking over to her and placing a hand beside her on the counter. Elena, you have a gift. The sword comes naturally to you. You have a sense for it, in a way I haven't seen since Kai. Someday, I'm sure you'll see even more of the house than I have, but not today. While he gets whatever he wants, she said bitterly. And Ariel rubbed his eyes. Simon is a special case. Why? You said yourself that I'm better than he is. If I could fight an incarnation, I could prove it. But I need one of those. She stabbed a finger at the masks behind her father's head. No matter how hard she trained in the house, no matter how many times she defeated Shaka or sparred with Indirial, she could never face an incarnation alone as Simon had, not without a mask. That was the only thing that made Simon special. He had the first mask, the original, and she could never match up to that. But if she had a mask of her own, she could at least prove herself in battle. When Indirial opened his eyes again, they weren't glowing. It calmed down. In the end, I'm the guardian of the gallery, 
and I say you haven't earned it. You're skilled, but you're not ready. And Simon is. A battle takes more than just technical skill, Enderiel said. Simon has seen things you haven't, has made choices you've never had to make. He let out a breath, and his look of sorrow pierced her heart. And I hope you never do. Elena was still frustrated when she entered the garden, bright sky overhead, and endless grass blowing in a gentle wind. The massive fruit tree towered over, various fruits peeking out of its branches. Chaka, the leather golem with yellow topaz eyes, stood with his bladed arms crossed. Give them whatever test I please. I'm hungry, Chaka, please, I'm sick of eating dinner in Cana. Though Simon's time in Valenhall might have made him older than Elena, he still looked younger. Something about his wide, dark eyes and his generally uncomfortable demeanor took a few years off his age. He was still taller than she was, with a dark skin and hair inherent to most villagers, and lean. Though a few years' worth of training in the House of Blades had defined his muscles, he would never stand out as the largest or most intimidating man in a room. Her father had been able to quiet a palace full of enemies with nothing but a glare or a cold smile. Now the queen expected Simon to be able to do his job? Elena couldn't picture it. She'd known Leah as a little girl and respected the intelligence of any of Zachareth's children, but Leah was mistaken in this case. Simon could never wear Indiriel's mantle. Elena could prove it. Andra Agnos and her brother Lycus sat against the tree, waving when they saw Elena. She waved back, but her focus remained on Simon and Chaka. Why don't I test him today, Chaka? she suggested. Simon immediately shifted his weight as though nervous, which lowered her opinion of him even further. How could a Valenhall traveler expose their fear so easily? Chaka's smile, a slit in his leather face, twisted into a grin. Wouldn't that be a sight? He nodded his permission, walking over to the Agnos children. Andra cheered. Elena, good luck! Lycus leaned forward, staring at the fight, his gaze intense. Elena was warmed by the support, but she wasn't the one that would need luck. She picked up a short sword that had been resting in the grass near Simon, presumably one used by Andra or Lycus. Simon glanced around, searching for a way out, even as he readied his own sword. It was a Damascan infantry blade similar to her own, plain and straight. Have I offended you somehow? Simon asked, confusion painting his face. Rather than responding, Elena attacked. They were both holding steel, their strength roughly equal, and Simon had a slight advantage of reach. Even so, it was Elena's fight from the very beginning. She had watched him fight, had trained against him for months, and she read him like a sign. Where she fainted, he defended. When she moved forward, he stepped back. When she allowed him to attack, he did so as though chopping wood with simple, straightforward motions. And her father thought he was better prepared than she was. His technique? Rough, as though someone had taught him the basics and then left him to figure out every other step for himself. He fought like he usually overwhelmed opponents with his superior strength and speed, but had no idea how to maneuver an equal opponent. She led him in a dance while he stumbled to keep up with her, and every time he winced as a strike almost drew blood, she felt an incomparable satisfaction. No meal for you today, 
she said, stepping smoothly into the move that would finish it once and for all. His guard was wide and he leaned on his back foot, so he had no chance of defense. A crystal whirled into the garden, flashing, a lyrial probe. This was how Queen Leah contacted Simon, and if she was doing so outside of their regular schedule, it must be important. Simon's head whipped around at the sound, his defense forgotten. Elena saw what was about to happen, but it was too late to stop. The world slowed around her as the edge of her sword blurred toward his throat. She was suspended in that last terrible moment where she knew exactly what was going to happen, but was powerless to stop it. An inch away from drawing blood, her blade slammed into his. Simon was still facing the probe and she'd already knocked his weapon wide. There was no way he should have been able to block, and yet, somehow, he'd stopped her with half his attention fixed on the message. He didn't appear to even notice anything. As he spoke to the probe, she gaped at him. What is it? Simon asked the silver glass orb. It flashed with light, acknowledging his presence. Message to follow, the probe declared. Queen Leah's voice came next, as though she spoke through the device. We have reports of a newborn incarnation in the Western Isles, Naraka. I'm gathering a team, but we haven't had time to evacuate. We need you now. Wind rushed through the queen's words as though she spoke while running. When she'd finished, the probe shouted, Message delivered, and floated back toward the entry hall. Simon followed, running toward the door of the garden, but Elena kept pace. Even the two Agnos children had started after them, their meal forgotten. I know where we can find a gate to the Western Isles, Elena said as she ran. We don't need to wait on the queen's team. We can go straight there. Simon's glance was as sharp as her father's. Stay here, I'll handle this. He tore down the hallway, pulling open the door to his bedroom and tossing his sword inside. Kayla! The blonde doll hopped up from the floor onto his arm, adjusting a blue bonnet. When she settled onto his shoulder, Simon dashed off again. Elena had been in Valen Hall for too long to let an animated doll bother her. We can help you. We have the same powers you do. If we can't fight enemy travelers, what can we do? This isn't a traveler, Simon said. Not anymore. He reached the entry hall and snatched Mithra from its rack. The sword gleamed silver and gold, and with the other hand, he drew a black cloak down from the wall. When Andra caught up, she reached for her own black-spotted dragon's fang. You let us fight before. Simon was focused on cutting a gate. I didn't let you do anything. I needed your help. Right now, I don't. He glanced back at them before the portal was complete, adding, Someday I will, though. Keep training. He winced as though he felt how awkward the words were, but continued cutting his gate. It opened onto a room of the Imperial Palace, which she hardly recognized since its reconstruction. Elena refused to plead anymore, though her anger grew. As she watched Simon step through and leave them behind, she stewed in irritation. From over her shoulder, Lycus grumbled. He's not even Damascan, though he waited until the gate had shut. It was the sort of petty complaint appropriate for a child, but at the moment, Elena agreed. She turned and laid a hand on each of the Agnos siblings. Over the months, she had developed a kinship with their whole family, but the children in particular. For one thing, they somewhat looked like her. Of mixed Damascan and villager blood, they had skin a shade too dark and hair too light. 
She herself had yellow hair like her mother and dark eyes like her father. Well, like her father used to. Elena looked each of them in the eye, solemn, as though she addressed her actual little brother and sister. Simon didn't want to hear it, but I do know a way to get to the Western Isles. But we have to decide now. People are in danger. Andra grinned as though she'd heard a joke, resting a hand on her ink-stained sword. It's the Valenhall Traveler's job to defeat incarnations, not Simon's. Besides, we've done it before. Lycus nodded firmly, clutching a miniature dragon's fang he'd retrieved from the armory long ago. It wasn't really capable of drawing on Valenhall's full power, but it was forged from Tartarus steel, and Lycus himself had earned the liquid steel. As long as he was careful, he should be fine. Careful. Now, there was a joke. They lived in the House of Blades, where every hour brought some new threat. Leaving them behind just to keep them safe was a waste. Why didn't Simon understand that? Clearly, he had learned nothing from Valenhall. Elena smiled proudly at the both of them. Then let's go. Catherine was an older woman, older in appearance even than Elena's father, with slate gray hair and a manner that suggested she chewed up bricks and spat sand. She opened her bedroom door after the first knock, eyeing Elena and the two Agnos children, all of them wearing their imitation nigh cloaks. Lycus carried his sword with him, though the other two would be able to summon theirs in the unnamed world. You want me to open you a gate, Catherine said flatly. If you would, Elena responded. There's been- Must be an incarnation, Catherine said, shouldering them aside and walking into the hallway. The kid wouldn't let you fight, would he? Typical, a soft heart he's got. Children should risk their lives if they want to grow up. Reaching the entry hall, Catherine grabbed her own dragon's fang off of a rack. It had a short blade, but a long handle, like a strange hybrid between a spear and a sword. Elena appreciated Catherine's decisive action, but she didn't much enjoy being called a child. I'm the same age as Simon, she pointed out. Catherine snorted as she began cutting a gate. No, you're not. But if one of you dies, the other two will grow up right quick. Andra and Lycus glanced at each other nervously, but Elena knew what was happening. Catherine was trying to scare them into being careful. Well, she knew what she was getting herself into. She was prepared. Along with the Agnos siblings, Elena slipped into her black cloak. It had been presented to her by Queen Leah herself, along with a silver badge of a dragon's fang wrapped in a chain, the newly forged symbol of Valenhall. When she wore it, she felt like an official traveler. As Catherine carved the gate, the world on the other side was slowly revealed. Waves lapped on a beach, distorted and slow, even as boats drifted by. As the gate opened, time in the entry hall would gradually adjust to that of the world outside, since it usually moved much faster in Valenhall. According to her father, that was why they could only open gates from this room. But until the doorway had fully opened, the world outside was still delayed, so she had plenty of time to notice that something was wrong. There were boats on the water, too many, of too many different types. The ocean looked like a packed market street in Cana. Some of them looked as though families had strapped a bunch of doors to logs and simply shoved them onto the water, clutching their children close. Others were flying full sail, their decks packed with people. Behind them, a column of smoke spewed into the sky. 
The gates snapped into being as the hall's time matched the world's and salty air rushed in. The noise of the crowd followed, high-pitched with panic. Even on the beach in front of them, everyone she could see was scrambling into the sea, even if they had nothing more to cling to than a driftwood log. Try not to die, Catherine said, and pushed Elena out of the gate. Andra and Lyca stumbled after her before the portal vanished. Andra rubbed her sore shoulder. Let's never ask Catherine for anything ever again. Elena looked around at the crowd surrounding them, stretching out over the water. All of them had the signature eyes of islanders, bright shades of red, orange, blue, and green, even one pair of violet that might have belonged on her incarnated father. Some of them turned when they saw three travelers stepping out of the gate, chattering and begging in quick words. Please, take us away. Take us with you. I have money. I can pay. If not me, at least take my little girl. Elena knelt to speak to a woman on her knees, pleading for help. The queen sent us, ma'am. We're here to help. Confusion flashed across the woman's face. Queen? The queen of Damascus? It didn't matter, so Elena moved to a different subject. What's happening here? It erupted not an hour ago. The island's gone. It's just gone, and they say it's coming. She pointed a trembling finger at the column of smoke, which even now flickered with clouds of orange sparks. Elena stood. She hadn't really needed to ask. The Naraka incarnation had struck. She was fortunate that it was so close, though they probably could have spotted that billowing cloud of smoke for miles. It looked like everyone in the aisles was moving away from the incarnation, and now she had to find a way to move toward it. It took the better part of an hour, but in the end, Andra managed to obtain a rowboat with two pairs of oars. Rowed by travelers with steel-enhanced strength, they slid over the water with unnatural speed. They skirted the shallows of the nearest island, heading toward the source of the smoke. As soon as they rounded the shore, they saw the incarnation. For an instant, they stopped in shock. It was a burning insect with a red carapace, something like a mantis, more than twice the height of a man. Fire jutted out from between the plates in its chitin, and a pair of fiery wings sat folded on its back. Most disturbing of all, a blazing orange circle orbited its head, and the halo appeared to be made of stretched, screaming faces, as though it wore a crown of burning souls. Behind it, the entire island burned. Like animals, its inhabitants fled the fire, and like animals, they were caught in traps. As Elena watched, a man stumbled out of the flames and into the claws of a huge red lizard creature, which hogtied the man and left him face down on the sand. Others were less fortunate, some dangling from a noose by the branches of a nearby tree, their feet still kicking. Others had hooks driven through their shoulders, lashed to chains that terminated beneath the ground. Still others were tied to enormous wooden racks. The voice of the incarnation drifted over them all like a woman's beautiful song. Blessed children, she crooned. Fortunate children, you will be punished, and through punishment, you will be cleansed. The Valenhall travelers sat dead in the water, each too repulsed to move. For long seconds, None of them said a word. 
They had expected to see the island burning and even prepared for the sight of an inhuman monster. But the torment, the cruelty, it was too much too soon. Elena firmed herself. They had come exactly to save people from this. These islanders were helpless before a greater power and had no one to defend them. This was why travelers of Valenhall existed. Her father would have saved these people. Before Andra or Lycus had recovered, Elena started rowing. Andra reached for the oars. Whoa, wait, stop. Let's talk about this for a second. Still rowing, Elena glanced back over her shoulder. Are we going to save them or not? She returned her focus to her task, but she couldn't deny a wash of pleasure when behind her, the oars started to move. Though the stench of burning and the sound of screams grew almost unbearable as they approached, no one offered a word of complaint. Elena directed them in a broad arc where the incarnation wouldn't be able to see them and stop them from landing. The beach here was comparatively clear, though choked with smoke and ash. After a few attempts trying to run the boat aground, they all three finally piled into the water, hauling the boat behind them. Even with steel enhancing them, it took all three to drag the rowboat onto the sand, and they were all panting with effort as they did. Elena collapsed next to Andra and Lycus, releasing steel. The chains immediately started to slide down past her elbows. She had used up practically all of her steel on the way here, and though she had a handful of other powers to rely on, she needed Benson's vial if she wanted to fight. So, she said between breaths, here's the plan. I attack first, draw its attention. Andra, you flank it. Lycus, you'll deal with whatever it summons or whatever help it calls. We hit it fast, and if that doesn't work, retreat and regroup. She was confident in their ability to handle this monster. She'd seen what Simon and her father had done to incarnations in the past. They were bizarre and stronger than any ordinary traveler, but in general, they had no defense against a dragon's fang. However, she wasn't a fool. Valenhall was always at a disadvantage in a drawn-out fight. If it looked like the Naraka incarnation was aiming for a long battle, they would have to disengage and wait for the Damascan travelers to show up. Even that would be a form of victory for her. Simon would arrive only to see that the three of them had survived a long-term engagement with an incarnation. He'd acknowledge them then. Andra finally sat up, pulling her wet hair behind her in an attempt to tie it away from her face. How do we close the- Watch out! With reflexes born from a relative year in Valenhall, Elena rolled away from Andra without a second's hesitation. The Naraka incarnation's claws slammed down an instant later, sending a ring of sand and fiery heat kicking up. It turned a warped, insectile head Elena's way, its multifaceted eyes gleaming, orange crown shrieking in agony. New children. Naughty children, violence is not the way. One of its jagged mantis arms speared toward the boat, shattering it in a spray of smoldering splinters. Frantically, Elena backed away from the heat, summoning Vasha and liquid steel in the same instant. Andra and Lyka scrambled away as well, each in a different direction. The fight had come sooner than expected. But if there was one advantage to living in the House of Blades, it was that one became somewhat numb to surprise attacks. Elena found her resolve immediately, launching herself toward the incarnation, cloak swirling behind her. Andra had already done the same, Lycus staying back to deal with anything approaching. 
the mantis creature caught a dragon's fang on each arm, and then everything went wrong. All of Elena's experience told her that the incarnation would knock their blades aside and then use flame to push them back and gain space, and she was prepared for it. She'd even started to call upon the stone amulet in the hopes that its protective powers would shield her from the fire. Instead, the incarnation leaped on Lycus. It was on him like a furious lion, shrieking and shredding him in an instant spray of blood. His cloak was torn, his arm a mess, and Elena hadn't even had time to blink. Andra screamed even louder than her brother, throwing herself at the monster fang first, but the incarnation slammed bodily into her. She flipped over a dozen paces, losing her sword and landing on the sand. Her black-spotted sword vanished as soon as it left her hand. Two down in less than the time it took to draw a breath. Fear began to creep in, shaking Elena's confidence, but when the incarnation turned its attention back to Lycus, she shook her doubts aside. There was someone in danger. Planting her feet, she rushed at the monster. It blasted flame from its wings, and though she countered by calling stone, it still felt as though she'd stuck her head in an oven. She squeezed her eyes shut and swung the dragon's fang down, feeling it bite through armor. The incarnation hissed in anger. When Elena recovered enough to open her eyes again, she saw the orange-haloed insect looming over her. Proud girl, tiny girl, I am not your enemy. Its mandibles spread wide, and the screaming faces in its halo seemed to notice Elena for the first time. You are. Choking guilt rose into her chest, even as her vision was swallowed by orange fire. She had led Andra and Lycus to die. This was her fault, her pride. And when the guilt began to burn with an actual physical pain, as though her heart had turned to a living coal, she accepted it as her punishment. It was no more than she deserved. Elena had heard her father mention the furnace of judgment, the fearful power of Naraka that punished foes based on the weight of their guilt. She had never understood how that was supposed to work, but she felt it now. Her worst memories flayed her, burning her from the inside out, all the while whispering how this was her fault. She had earned this. No one else could have failed so spectacularly as she had. Eventually, she managed to pry her eyes open in spite of the agony. The incarnation wasn't focused on Elena anymore. It had a new opponent, and based on its loud hisses and flashing claws, it found this one more worthy than Elena. She noticed the black-spotted sword and the wet, flying hair before she realized this was Andra trading blows with the incarnation. Alone. Forcing down the guilt and the burning sensation inside her, Elena tried to push herself up. She was more skilled than Andra, stronger, older, and better trained. Not only did she have her father, but even Simon had trained her further than he had Andra. Elena was the one who should be fighting the incarnation, not her. They all wasted their time on you, the flames whispered, though she tried to ignore them. She collapsed her steel gone. This time she landed with her cheek in the sand, facing away from the incarnation. If you looked this way and you ignored the clouds of smoke overhead, it was a peaceful view. 
The ocean stretched out as blue as the sky, and even the boats clustered on the water showed that people had escaped this monster. They had remained beyond its reach. As you should have, the flames said. In the distance, she saw the nearest island. It was as green as this one must have once been, its beach fine and yellow. Sand exploded on that far beach, a huge blast, sending one dark missile sailing up into the sky in an arc toward her. The dark missile was sailing through the sky, growing larger and larger as it dropped toward the beach straight toward Elena. She screamed as she broke the hold of the flames of judgment, clawing her way to her knees. Something was about to collapse on her, and that panic cleared her mind, helping her gain control of herself. As she did, that dark object slammed into the beach nearby, but not onto her, onto the incarnation. The impact sent another ring of sand exploding into the air, blinding her for a few seconds. When the air cleared, she blinked her eyes free. Simon rose from atop the body of the incarnation, cloak half hiding his masked face. Half of the original mask was rough iron, half mirrored steel, the join down the middle ragged. Two slits where his eyes should be glowed with light. He hopped off the incarnation, pulling the mask away with one hand. Without hesitation, he moved over to Lycus, producing something from the inside of his cloak, a water skin. Here you go, Simon said gently pouring water all over the boy's shredded arm. This is from the pool, don't worry. Lycus wasn't worried about anything at the moment. Even from Elena's perspective, she could see that he had lost consciousness. When Lycus was seen to, Simon moved to Andra. The girl had collapsed as soon as she saw Simon, sprawled on the beach, heaving for breath. Simon offered her the skin, but she waved him away. I'm sorry, she said weakly. Simon opened his mouth as though to respond, but only managed a sympathetic look. Behind him, the incarnation began to stir. Light gathered like a fire building, and the mantis slowly drew itself up. But it was Elena's turn, and she could see concern in Simon's eyes as he drew closer. Where are you hurt? He asked, brandishing the skin. She shook her head, unable to speak. She pointed at the incarnation, which was drawing itself up further. He paid no heed to the monster, peering into her eyes. Was it the screaming fire? Wordlessly, she nodded. He winced and then patted her awkwardly on the shoulder. Yeah, that's, sorry. By now, the incarnation blazed like a bonfire, its orange crown shining like the sun. Foolish boy. Meddling boy, you will be judged by- Simon put his mask back on. Before the incarnation of Naraka could say anything further, Simon was on top of it. As he had earlier, he attacked like a man chopping wood. Simple, direct, efficient. Now Elena saw the advantage. One claw fell to the sand, then another, then bits of flaming armor. Other creatures of Naraka arrived, trying to swarm Simon like ants over an invader, but they died before they even got close. Elena couldn't even see how. It was as though the air itself cut them to pieces. Simon didn't play games, and he didn't fight as though dueling an opponent in an exquisite exchange of move and counter-move. He butchered the incarnation. 
It was over in seconds, as the embodiment of Naraka tried to slide forward on its belly, scraping across the sand toward the ocean, toward Elena. Distant fate, cruel fate, you will never escape your punishment. Elena waited for Simon to finish it off, but it crawled closer and closer. She backed up, looking to Simon. He'd removed his mask, watching her, waiting for her. In a flash of understanding, she summoned Vasha and the last dregs of her steel. The giant insect hissed as it grew near, its mandibles less than a pace from her ankle. With her father's cracked and dull blade, she sliced the incarnation in two. Elena hobbled into the gallery, a crutch under one shoulder. The pool had healed her superficial injuries, but she'd twisted her knee at some point, and it seemed it would take a few weeks before she could walk easily on it again. She hadn't even noticed when she heard it, and she'd gotten off easily. Andra didn't smile as quickly anymore, while Lycus's arm had truly been mangled. Even with the help of the pool, they might have to amputate, though his mother was doing everything she could to avoid that. None of the family blamed Elena, but sometimes she still heard the voice of the flames of judgment, the voice that said it was her fault. For the first time in the three days since her disastrous attack, she entered the gallery to face her father. She had almost gone to see him that first night, but she hadn't found the strength. She'd failed him, and Daryl would never have suffered such a loss. She had to choke out words when she saw him already seated and waiting for her, sympathy in his violet eyes. I didn't listen, she said. He sat in his chair, toying with a white and gray mask. I went after the incarnation on my own. It was stupid. I got like us hurt. He continued spinning the mask between his fingers, waiting for her to get it all out. She burned me, in my mind, I guess. She hurt me. That was all she could say. He was her father. He would understand the rest. He looked at her with the eyes of an incarnation, weighing and measuring. But his soft, sad smile came straight from her father. Before he said a word, he flipped her the mask. Congratulations, you've survived the Hidden Gnome Podcast. Today's story was The Incarnation's Daughter by Will White, read by Travis Baldry. The next episode will be available whenever my genie gets back from his vacation lamp in Miami, which usually takes about a week. Until that time, remember, clouds are not as innocent as they look.